Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you right, upright in heart. Heavenly Father, we pray that during this time you would teach us from your word, make us attentive to your still small voice by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, there's two opening illustrations I want to give to you that will kind of pave the way forward for the next little bit. One is I saw this week that there's an 88-year-old man from New York who's been in prison for 60 years, who this week was granted parole after 20 previous unsuccessful attempts at parole. He's committed heinous, unthinkable crimes that are not appropriate for me to share publicly, frankly. And I'd like to ask you just to answer in your own heart today, what do you make of that? Do you think a person like that is deserving of parole after 60 years in prison? Second one is there's a nationwide debate going on currently for something thousands of people have and many would like to no longer have. It's become politicized with many thinking it's being leveraged or dangled only for political gains or to win a vote while others think it could change their life forever. At the heart of Christianity is something that is mentioned, it's really only mentioned a few times in the Psalms. So we're gonna be spending the next several weeks in the Psalms, these 150 songs and poems right in the middle of the Bible. But there's something at the heart of Christianity, the heart of the gospel, that's really only mentioned a couple of times in the Psalms but it's mentioned dozens of times all over the place in the teachings of Jesus. And it's something that Jesus is accused of blasphemy for. It's one of the reasons why Jesus is ultimately put to death on the cross by the Romans. What is it? What is it that all those things have in common? Forgiveness, 
forgiveness. The first point about the man in prison is the question we have to ask ourselves: is, is a man that committed heinous crimes, is he deserving of forgiveness before he dies in a jail cell? The second point was the debate of student loan forgiveness. People that wish to have thousands of dollars of debt removed. It's become a big point of debate. You know, is forgiveness like that warranted? And then the third point is Jesus showing up at the house of many people throughout ancient Judea and proclaiming forgiveness for their sins. And the people around would say, who is this man who can forgive sins? Because as the Pharisees would say, no one can forgive sins, but God alone. So when Jesus shows up and starts proclaiming forgiveness of sins for these people, he's claiming to be God himself. And that is blasphemy, unless he actually is God. And so today we're gonna to be talking about forgiveness. Psalm 32 is one of the few places in the whole Psalms where forgiveness is explicitly mentioned. And again, I just want to remind you not to put the blame on you, but you guys picked these Psalms. Uh, this member a couple of weeks ago, I said, this is all, you, whatever you guys want to hear preached on from the Psalms, you get to choose. And so uh, this was one of the Psalms that was mentioned and it focuses on the theme of forgiveness. I want to, as we get started, I want to say that despite the central place of forgiveness in Christianity, generally speaking, I think most people in our culture don't fully understand what the teaching of Christian forgiveness actually is. Either it's been misunderstood or it's been misapplied. And so I, I think if you were to go out on the street today and in pretty much anywhere and say, what's Christianity about? Someone could probably generally say, oh, Christianity is about Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's it kind of rolls off the tongue for most folks. I think most people would understand that that's what the central teaching of Christianity is. But why would people not want that? That's my question. And so if, if that really is understood, that forgiveness of sins is offered, unless that's not understood, then why would people not want that kind of teaching? Why would they not want to pursue that kind of God? What would be unappealing about that? And so this morning, I'm going to kind of frame our sermon time around three misunderstandings of forgiveness and how Psalm 32 helps us be guided into a more true understanding of what the forgiveness of God really is. And so here's the three misapplications. The first one is forgiveness is unneeded. There are some people in our world that would say, I don't need to be forgiven of anything that maybe the sins that God or the Bible or Jesus talk about, really, I don't think they're sins at all. And so therefore I don't need to be forgiven. There's some people that, that go that route. Number two, some people would say forgiveness is disconnected. And by that, I mean, when people say, I've asked for forgiveness of my sins, I've prayed the prayer, but now what, what do I need with the rest of Christianity? What does that have to do with the rest of the Bible or the rest of the Christian life? Why do I need to do anything else if my sins are already forgiven? And so forgiveness becomes simply a, to use monopoly terminology, a get out of jail free card. 
you know, I prayed the prayer, my sins are forgiven. Now I'll move on with my life and keep going. And then the third misunderstanding or misapplication is that maybe somewhere along the line, we've been convinced that forgiveness is ineffective or ineffective, meaning that, did it really work? When I asked God to forgive me of my sins, I prayed that genuinely, but why do I still sin? Why do I still feel the brokenness in the world? Nothing's changing. Maybe it's just ineffective. Forgiveness maybe just doesn't really change anything ultimately. Maybe forgiveness is just weak. And yet Jesus saw this all as so central in his teaching. Um, you know, he, he corrects the disciples when the disciples come up and say, Lord, when my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive them? Should I forgive them seven times? And Jesus famously responds back, don't, don't forgive just seven times, forgive 70 times seven times, meaning you can never forgive too much. Or when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer, you may remember a famous part in the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or even in his great commission, according to Luke, Jesus says, uh, he says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So if you were to go around and around the world and to declare one thing, what should you do, Jesus says? Jesus says, proclaim that there's forgiveness of sins for all people. And so Jesus clearly thinks it's important. And remember, Jesus loved the Psalms. And so I'm sure Jesus read Psalm 32 from time to time and said, I'm going to fulfill that in your hearing today. So let's start with this, this first point. We're going to look at these three misunderstandings of forgiveness and take them bit by bit. So the first one is maybe forgiveness just isn't needed. Maybe it's unneeded. And I would say forgiveness not only is needed, but Psalm 32 tells us that forgiveness is a blessing Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed. What does it mean to be blessed today? One person says that blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. And so you could say here that David, the writer of this psalm, is saying forgiveness is a projection of good into your life. This, this author, John Ortberg, says, blessing is kind of like an ancient dance of the hokey pokey. <laughs> before, you have to, before you finish, you have to put your whole self in. You know the song, the hokey pokey. I'm not going to do it for you. Uh, but you put your right arm in, you take your right arm out, and then you dance all about. He's saying blessing really is you have to put your whole self in. And then that's blessing for your soul. And so you think of the famous blessings throughout the Bible. Anything that starts with blessed are or blessed is. Um, the famous blessing of Aaron back in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a famous benediction. Sometimes we do that at the end of the service, kind of as like the last word. But do you feel just the power of like, wow, like the Lord bless you. 
Or you think of Jesus and the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. Matthew 5, 1 to 11. All of them start with, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the, and it goes on and on. Pronouncement of blessing on people, even when it's undeserved. And so Psalm 32 starts with this idea that forgiveness isn't just needed. It's a deep blessing to your life. It actually is a pronouncement of good on you. It marks you. It stamps you for something that is declared good, declared blessed. How so? Well, Psalm 32 gives us a couple of ways here of showing us our our universal need for forgiveness. And so David here gives us four kind of interconnected ways of things we need to be forgiven of. And he uses these four words here. And they're all kind of synonymous. They all kind of mean the same thing. They overlap. They're connected. But they're also each a little bit different too. The four words in verses 1 and 2 are transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit. Those are the four words that he uses here of things that we need to be forgiven of. And when you're forgiven of those, then you are considered blessed, a blessed person. What do those four things mean? There are four different Hebrew words that are translated for us in these four different ways. And I would, I would say probably all four of these are rarely used in common language today but they're very common in the biblical language. So let's just take a second to understand these four. First, transgression. What does transgression mean? Transgression can just mean the breaking of trust. That's what the Hebrew word gets at here. It's the breaking of trust. When you commit a transgression, you have lost trust with another person. What about sin? Sin is kind of the catch-all term for all these, but it basically means you have missed the mark. The goal of trying to, like, if you're trying to throw a dart at a dartboard and trying to hit a bullseye, if you miss the bullseye, you have sinned. You've missed the mark. And what is God's mark? What's the bullseye of what God intends? Love God and love others. If you miss that mark, sin. That's it. So it's kind of the catch-all. Iniquity is another word, and it just means crooked behavior something that is is bent something that is not straight something that is not in the way that is healthy it has been bent on itself it is crooked and it needs correcting and then the last one is deceit deceit in our spirit which can be summarized as deception or treachery you could say you're deceiving yourself you've turned in you've bent in on yourself so much that now you can't even really see it. You've, you've been deceived and you're living into it. Those are the four things that David says are the problem, but he's also the, it's also the four things he says you can be blessed by being forgiven. So he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered up, whose, uh, whose iniquity is no longer counted by the Lord, and in whose spirit there is no more deceit. That's what a blessed life is. And so that's the general, the general truth of what the Bible offers, right? Is that's what God offers each of us is here's the problem. Here's the solution. Forgiveness covers it up. 
But how do you do that? How do you actually do that? And I, I think this maybe is the core of what the whole psalm is about. That there's two options here for life. Two pretty simple options of how do you deal with your sin problem, your iniquity problem, your transgression problem, your deceit problem. How do you enter into a life of forgiveness? The two options are this. Stay silent or speak up. And David here is giving us his own life experience. David isn't saying, this is what some people do. David said, this is what I did. David begins by saying, if you stay silent, verse three, for when I kept silent, what was the result of him keeping silent of his sin, of his transgression, of his iniquity, of his deceitful life? If he kept silent, which he did for a long time, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Pretty good time to be getting on that last metaphor. Yesterday was hot. You may have been saying, where is my energy all of a sudden? It's, I'm feeling the sun down on me. But the options here is if you stay silent about your sin, about your transgression, about any of those things we just mentioned, it's catastrophic for your life. Your bones will waste away. You will feel the heaviness of living a life of being deceiving against yourself, of not being freed from the heaviness of a life that is unblessed, of a life that runs counter to how God designed it. Because God is the source of life. These things are literally blocking you from receiving the blessing of the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Sin is blocking that. If you stay silent, you're just backing away from the life of blessing God wants you to have. And that's where we get the first selah. So if we're going to go through the Psalms this whole summer, we need to understand what selah means because you'll see it pop up. You may have been surprised when Brian read that in the scripture reading earlier, like, what is Selah? Selah just means pause. Think about what was just said. Pray about this. Consider what was just given to you. Have a moment of quiet before the Lord. So that's what we're gonna do. When it comes to, do you really want to stay silent with your sin? God is asking us, David is asking us here in the psalm to consider the heaviness of what was just presented. Selah. That's option number one. Option number two, in verse five, is to speak up. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you speak up, if you confess, the, the, the phrase here literally maybe could say, I confessed against myself. That's what acknowledged means here. I confessed against myself. It's receiving God's abundant offer of forgiveness. To acknowledge means to come into freedom, to not pretend anymore like there's nothing wrong, 
but to be released from the burden of being a fraud. That's basically, if you're holding on to your sin, you're, you're telling yourself that you're something that you're actually not. And he gets to that point later when he starts comparing us to cows. <laughs> we'll get to that part in a little bit. He says, don't be like a cow. Don't be like a fool. Don't be a fraud. Confess your sin. Speak up. And when you do, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of speaking up in the Bible. The beauty of a church is not coming into this place and pretending like we have it all together or like Sunday morning saying, Ooh, okay, let me, let me think of all the best things I did today. Or, or all, think, think of all the best things I did this week so I can go tell my church friends how great things are going and how, how my holiness is going up and my righteousness is being full. Let me, let me make sure everybody knows how much success I'm having in my life. That's not what church is. That's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is coming into the space like this, coming to Christian brothers and sisters and saying, I'm a sinner. I really messed up again this week, but I came to the Lord and he forgave me again. Isn't that amazing what a God we have? Let's worship that God together because we all need him. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's what a church is. We don't have to pretend. Let's be free to be who God has made us to be. And the result is being forgiven. A life of blessing. Not just, a, not just that forgiveness is needed, but that forgiveness is actually a deep blessing to your life. The pronouncement of good, of righteous, of saved, of free. That's the first one. The second misunderstanding that we talked about earlier was this idea that forgiveness is not connected to the rest of my life, that you know, maybe I, I prayed the prayer once and said, God, forgive me. And, and I, I thought that that would, that would kind of be all of it, but I don't see how it's connected to the rest of life. And verses six and seven show us how forgiveness is not just a one-time thing, but it's actually connected to the whole, whole of life. Forgiveness is actually the promise of life ongoing. It's the revelation and the, and the entering into the full promises of God. The sign outside of our church is a quote by Adoniram Judson, whom this church helped send out 200 years ago. It's one of his famous quotes, and it says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. How can Judson say something like that from a Burmese prison when everything seems to be going wrong, it's because he knows the power of forgiveness in his life for himself and how it goes out to others. God's forgiveness is a promise of abundant, ongoing, sufficient care. If you look at verses six and seven, it begins with a therefore. So therefore, because you are forgiven, what happens? He says, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to God at a time when he may be found and the rush of great waters, they will not reach you. And then he says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The big overarching promise here is that by being forgiven, you're now entering into the full operation care of God. You receive the all the time care of God continually, not just at that one time at the beginning, but you now have been built a house to rest in that will protect you from all 
the rushing waters and the storms of life. They will never reach you, it says. And God is always available through prayer to the forgiven. He is findable, it says in verse six. Let you come to God as long as he is findable, by a time when you may be found. The promise is that no, no ultimate catastrophe will ever reach you. The waters will come, it says. Trouble will come, but it will never fully overtake you. Unlike the flood of Noah, which overtook the whole earth. Remember the promise of God afterward, which was, I'll never again send a flood that will take over the entire earth. That, this is kind of the, the deeper spiritual fulfillment of that too. Never again will the waters of temptation or sin fully overwhelm you because you are guarded in Christ. You are protected by God himself. He is your shelter, your cover, your keeper. He will encircle you, not just with some kind of, um, some care that is, is un, unfeelable or un, unheard, but he says he will encircle you with shouts and singing of deliverance. It's almost like he's telling everybody on the outside that's trying to get to you, no, this person has been delivered. This person has been forgiven. You cannot touch this person, Satan. You cannot touch this person, anybody who's trying to deceive them. This person is mine. They are covered by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Jesus. On all sides. When Jesus died on the cross, and when you said yes to Jesus and said, I believe in that, one author said, it's like in your life, in the sky was written over your life, paid in full. This person is covered. Nothing can touch them. And so that's for the moment you were justified. That's for the life of sanctification. That's for living a life of perseverance, no matter what comes your way. And that's for when you go to heaven and you're ultimately glorified, forgiveness carries you all the way through. And now to the last one. Remember the last person that we kind of imagined? Maybe, we, maybe we're this person or maybe we know people that are like this, but the last one said, maybe forgiveness just isn't all that effective. I tried it, nothing changed. Maybe, maybe the forgiveness of God is just, maybe it's weak. Maybe it's not that powerful. Does forgiveness have the power to do anything really powerful in our life? Or is it all just talk and little follow through? And this is where verses 8 to 11 bring us home. Verses 8 and 9, like I said, this is where... David, the writer, says, don't be like a cow. Don't be like a mule who doesn't have understanding but needs to be continually carried along and taught the same thing over and over. Humans have so much more capacity than a yard animal. He said, listen to this instruction. Let it get down deep into your heart. Have it stay with you. I will continue to counsel you. Don't be dumb, is basically what he's saying. He's like, this is a free gift. Continue to hear it. Continue to be nourished by it, and it will go well for you. Let me give you an illustration I, I read this week. Um, it's a story of Albert Einstein. Uh, most of you probably know who that is. He's a smart guy. Um, he was riding a train one time and uh, the, the, the ticket person came by to receive Einstein's ticket to 
chop it and say, okay, you, you bought a ticket, you're good. And Einstein couldn't find it. He was looking everywhere and couldn't find his ticket. Um, but the person taking up the tickets knew who this was. He recognized him and he said, you know what? It's okay, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are. Like, you're forgiven, it's okay. Um, and so he, he continued to walk along getting other people's tickets. But he looked back after a second, Einstein was still looking for his ticket. He still couldn't find it anywhere. So he turns back around to him and he says, no, really, you don't have to find your ticket. You're really okay. And Einstein looked back to the, to the ticket person. He says, no, 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 I, I don't know where I'm going. I need to find the ticket so I know what my destination is. And I, I'm just thinking about the power of forgiveness. The forgiveness was offered to Einstein, which he received, great, but he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know when to get off the train. He didn't know what the effect of that forgiveness actually would be because even Einstein gets old and forgets where he's supposed to go. The takeaway in these verses are verses 10 and 11. And this is the takeaway for you and me. Many are the sorrows of the wicked for the unforgiven, but look what surrounds the ones who trust in the Lord. Steadfast love. Remember just a moment ago when we were talking about how God surrounds us on all sides, his shelter, the shouts of deliverance, all that is for the forgiven. That's not just some like, you know, intellectual forgiveness that's been given to us. What is surrounding us is not just protection, not just the intellectual idea of forgiveness, but it's the love of God that surrounds us. It's the love of God himself, the steadfast covenant love of God that says, I will never let you go. That is what is keeping you. I am trapping you in my love. I will never let you go. And that love actually has a way of seeping into you to where then you become the forgiver of others. So when you say that maybe this forgiveness wasn't all that effective, Maybe you're not letting the power of forgiveness and the love seep into you where you turn into a forgiver of others because that's when the power of forgiveness gets unleashed. Forgiveness is only true forgiveness if you turn into a forgiver yourself. The passage finishes by saying, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's not because you've become righteous by working hard at it. That's because you become righteous because the blood of Jesus has made you righteous. His sufficiency has become your sufficiency. You have become upright in heart. It's been transferred to you. It's been substituted to you, as Matt said earlier. Forgiveness is effective because it transforms you from the inside out to be a forgiver. In forgiveness, you experience the love of God in action toward you, and then as a result, through you to others. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're forgiven so you can forgive. So yesterday there was this horrific shooting in Buffalo. And if you're beginning to read any of the commentary on it, you'll begin to see the unfortunate reality that that shooting yesterday seems to be connected to ones from five and 10 years ago um, Charleston, the Amish shooting. Um, and if you look back 
at those shootings, the Amish school shooting from 2006 and the shooting in Charleston in 2013, I believe. If you read those stories, you begin to see an amazing display of forgiveness from the victims. Let me just read you just a little bit from the Amish school shooting from 2006. This just blew me away last night when I began to look at this anew. And I just want this to be our encouragement as we finish up this sermon today. But there's a shooting in 2006, Charles Roberts was his name, killed five children, injured five others before taking his own life. And the Amish community responded by forgiving the shooter. And in the years since, they've actually grown close to his family that remained in that community. The mother of the shooter said that when the police first came to their house, she knew right away that her son had done something. And she, and she said right then, I will never be able to face my Amish neighbors again. She knew that this was gonna break it. Like she's gonna have to leave. But when she went out to the funeral for their son and they went to the grave site, they saw as many of as 40 Amish people coming out from around the side of the graveyard and surrounding them like a crescent around the graveside funeral. And she says, quote, love emanated from them. She was surrounded by the love of the community. Just as it says here, God surrounds us with steadfast love. And she says, I recall them saying, I believe I have forgiven them. Not only that, but the next step was this woman not only stayed in the community, the mother of this shooter, but she actually has taken in and is caring for one of the children of one of the survivors. The mother of the shooter is caring for one of the children of one of the survivors. She had injuries to her head. She's now 15 years old. She's still tube fed in a wheelchair. She has seizures. And when it gets close to the anniversary date, she has even more seizures. Um, and it's possible that this, that this little girl will be like that the rest of her life. But the mother of the shooter reads to her, bathes her, dries her hair. And she, together, they provide a healing balm to one another, it says. She says, their choice to allow me to live and to move forward was quite a healing balm for us. And I think it's a message the world needs to hear. That's the effective power of forgiveness. And it's the power of the love of God that changes people to transform them into things that they otherwise never would have done before. So I don't know how to teach that anymore. I've, I've exhausted my time here. Now this is the time for the love of God to invade us anew and say, Lord, teach us to forgive as you have forgiven us because Jesus did that to the uttermost for us. So let me finish in prayer and then we'll stand and sing a song about the everlasting love of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for being a God who forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives. Thank you that it is a blessing for our life that it is connected to every aspect of our life and that it is powerful and effective. It is the love of God lived out in the most pure sense. So Lord, would you direct our heart and our eyes to Jesus now that we might see 
the love of God in fullness. And we pray that that would, that would flow now through us as we go about our weeks from here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.